Oh, there we go. Okay, today is July 16th, 1992, and I'm sitting on the back porch of uh, Dave Hickok's house in Anchorage, uh, talking with uh, him about his involvement in uh, in uh, the events that led to the enactment of the Native Claims Settlement Act. And I guess the first way to start might be, since uh, someday somebody may listen to this tape that doesn't know beans about any of us, uh, maybe a brief, brief biography of uh, yourself and how you ended up being with the field committee in 68 for uh, Scoop Jackson to give you folks the assignment on uh, figuring out what to do about land claims. Well, I was in the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, from 1950 to 1964 when I uh, uh, got a uh, Congressional Fellowship in, uh, from the American Political Science and uh, Civil Service and uh, worked in the Congress uh, uh, in that fellowship. When I finished that uh, in 65, um, uh, there was no uh, uh, opportunity in the Fish and Wildlife to go back uh, except at the same grade and place, and I was offered many many positions around uh, Washington and uh, so uh, went with the Library of Congress for a while and uh, wrote some uh, legislation on uh, uh, national ocean policy and um, uh, then uh, went to work uh, with the uh, uh, Department of Con Commerce Economic Development Administration as the um, uh, executive secretary to the President's Review Committee on Alaska, uh, which was a, a cabinet and sub and or sub-cabinet level committee uh, established uh, uh, for the Washington side of review on post-earthquake development in Alaska. The F President's Review Committee was uh, the review body for an outfit called the Federal Field Committee for Development Planning in Alaska, which was a unique body created by President Johnson uh, and really had its uh, uh, origins with uh, uh, Senator Anderson of New Mexico and uh, a chap named Dwight Inc. Uh, in the Bureau of the Budget. And uh, they had uh, known uh, as did Bob Bartlett, uh, uh, known Joe Fitzgerald for many years. He was um, uh, head of the Civil Aeronautics Board in Alaska for a while and also was head economist for the Civil Aeronautics Board, president of Ozark Airlines, road scholar, uh, quite a uh, uh, knowledgeable fellow and uh, well-respected. He had worked with Dwight Inc. on the uh, first phase of the earthquake recovery. Dwight Inc. was the one appointed by President Johnson to uh, do the uh, coordination and, and get the earthquake recovery, uh, 64 March, 64 earthquake uh, damage uh, taken care of. By October of 1964, the Alaska uh, infrastructure was back operational but the question remained what are you going to do about Alaska in the future uh, how will you have any 
economic growth, prosperity, uh, progress, uh, development, whatever word you want to use in the uh, in that context. And uh, so they, um, uh, Anderson and Bartlett and uh, uh, Dwight Inc. were all instrumental in having Joe Fitzgerald appointed as the uh, as the uh, chairman of the Federal Field Committee. I had just because I'd gone to commerce uh, with a lot of fish and wildlife experience, including some uh, uh, responsibilities here in Alaska. I was well. Here's somebody who knows about Alaska. You'd be the uh, the uh, secretary to the president's review committee. So I, that's how it happened. And then I, I did that for a, a year, and then uh, came up to Alaska uh, with Joe Fitzgerald as the natural resource and, and uh, science uh, uh, officer for the uh, for the committee. So when would that have been? Did you show up? I came up in uh, spring of '66. So um, uh, at this time, uh, the, the first 1965 was really the beginnings of of uh, federal field committee involvement. Uh, in that, they had to publish a uh, report to the president on um, uh, forward-looking policy type of paper that said, "What can we do about economic progress in Alaska?" And uh, although that talked about uh, a number of things, transportation, recreation, and so on, there was a salient uh, line in it that basically said uh, there can be no economic progress in Alaska uh, without settlement of native land rights. And it was that that uh, started the ball rolling in terms of, of uh, the field committee and Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald initially in well, I have to back up. If my memory's right, and you'll have to check your dates on these things because I, you know, it's been 26 years. But um, uh, in 1964, 65, there were some origins of the AFN and uh, Emil Nadi, and they had a Unilakleet meeting, uh, housing meeting that uh, led into the AFN, if my memory's right. Uh, it also, uh, of course, the uh, Howard Rock and the Tundra Times was stirring things up. There were the Pauls, Fred and... Uh, William. Huh? Fred and William? Fred and Bill, yeah, right. Paul, who kept uh, coming by the field committee trying to get some interest uh, uh, with, uh, with the staff or with Joe uh, on the... Uh, matter. Also, uh, he took Charlie Edwardson was around a lot, and he, he as a matter of fact, uh, lived in my house for about three months or so at that time. <laughs> uh, and many other people's for three months, too, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, Charlie uh, uh, was interested there. Anyway, when we, uh, uh, memory serves, uh, in the summer of 66. Uh, there had been a, a, a uh, little more interest on the part of the Department of the Interior, and uh, uh, Udall had brought together uh, Luce. Charlie, Charlie Luce, right. Is this correct? In my right, memory, right. time too? Right. Well, actually, it was the spring of 67. 
Was that? Well, then we're off then. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right, then let's, because, because there's another thing I was leading into, I've got them backwards. Right. Uh, okay. Because the first uh, Udall bill Udall, was, was, uh, the, was like May or June of 67, and it was... But the Udall came to Alaska in the fall of 66. Right. And then he, he was, uh, uh, but, but Joe had met with him prior to that time, somewhere in there. And uh, uh, Joe made the suggestion to him about OCS revenues. And um, so he uh, uh, came up and uh, tried to articulate that idea. And uh, it, it was a, my memory went over like a lead balloon. It didn't uh, well, go too well. Actually, it went, uh, in fact, I'd like to, it's your recollection yeah, that, yeah, that, but that Joe actually was instrumental in putting that, that bug in? Well, he, he suggested it. I, uh, I don't know. Burke Riley was also right. involved. Right. Burke right. Riley and Joe, as I remember. Burke Riley, uh, maybe Burke Riley did it, but he, he got it, I'm sure, from a meeting we had in the field committee. Hmm. Anyway. Well, see, what, what's, what's interesting, what happened with that, just, just yeah. for your edification, is, is that uh, You'd all went into that meeting that he had up with the natives here in Anchorage and said, hey, I'm just thinking out loud, but maybe we ought to tap that into OCS revenues because they are not allocated to the state under the Statehood Act. That was the pitch. Right. That's right. And, and Boyko had already been running around um, telling everybody that, hey, you know, you're at least, you're at least entitled to, to interest, even if, even if you assume that the date of taking is, is 1867, and, and it's, you know, and, and that 7.2 million would be, or seven, yeah, 7.2 million would be fair in 1867 dollars because that's what the United States paid for Russia. If you if you compound that with interest, we're talking 100 million dollars, and that's what I think is fair. And so that was the first bit of candy canes. The idea, you know, 100 million dollars in 1967 is one hell of a lot of money, but nobody could figure out where you'd find it. And so then Udall came up with this idea, but then he says. Uh, hey, I'm just thinking out loud, but That's maybe we right. can use this. That was the I, of course, I've never talked to the president. I've not talked to the Bureau of the Budget. Well, those were caveats that, that the general, you know, your average native, even yeah. didn't understand. And, and I've seen, I've been through Bartlett's papers, and, and Bartlett and Ken Jensen engage in this correspondence where Bartlett just shakes his head and says, you know, if that is really true, then Stuart Udall is really an idiot. If, if he went up in front of 300 emotionally aroused natives and lofted a proposal like that without any staff backup and without any homework having been done with the Bureau of the Budget that that this was possible, then that is absolutely irresponsible. Well, and I don't think that's, that, what, I that's, don't what think that's exactly what happened. I don't think there was any. There uh, wasn't. And when no. you'd all, when the, when the, when the Boyko bill, you know, was eventually introduced, which gets us actually back into Alaska Natives and the land, you know, that had all that stuff in it. And then when, in the summer of 68, when, uh, when uh, Udall finally went in to testify on the, officially on the Boyko bill, the boyko Hickel bill, he disowned <laughs> the revenue sharing provisions and makes no mention in his testimony that he was the guy that thought the whole thing up. Well, uh, but he got, he got beat to death inside yeah. the Bureau of the Budget. So that's how all that happened. Well, I, 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 I think that, Coincides. But in any event, what happened then, uh, Udall visit took place, and 
uh, I had been involved with a number of uh, Indian things in the lower 48 to, through the Fish and Wildlife Service uh, in prior years. And uh, I got thinking and I said, uh, uh, in the field committee, there was no active uh, operation in the field committee uh, on the native land claims. Uh, but after the Udall visit, uh, sat down and, and said, well, how the hell could you settle this thing anyway, just as an intellectual exercise? And uh, uh, the uh, prior years had all been one of termination, Menominees, the Klamaths, and so on. So you had the reservations, you had the uh, uh, termination, and uh, is there another way? So anyway, I came up with the idea about uh, quasi-federal corporation like ComSat. And uh, then that developed into, uh, later, in later months, into uh, the corporate idea. All right, well, let me, let me sort of stop you right there. Is the paper trail that I have uncovered indicates that, uh, you know, the, the Hickel Task Force bill was finally introduced in, in January of 68, which was this thing that right. Boyko put together. Yeah, so we're talking 66 now? No, we're talking 68. I'm talking 66. Right, I understand. Okay. I understand. And, and then Scoop comes up here and they hold, you know, this hearing in February of 68 on, on this thing, which is really the first time the Senate has ever held hearings on Native claims. The House had held some way back in the early 50s, but the Senate had never done it. By this time, of course, they had Alaska Natives in the land. Well, no. Uh, no. Yes, they did. No, because they had a, They had a... a, a, a they had a, a printed, a hand-printed copy. Well, boy, yeah, right, let okay. me let me take you through the chronology yeah. here. That that so they had it in '67. The, the no, the the uh, the paper trail that I have seen indicates that the scoop came up here in in February of '68 mm -hmm. and um, held this field hearing. And what he came away from was the idea that nobody had the slightest idea what was going on. That's what he learned about all. That, that's what he came away with, listening to all these witnesses. And so then Bob Vaughn, do you remember Bob Vaughn, mm -hmm. who, was, who was the Deputy Assistant Secretary, and he had been the guy along, I guess, with Berg, no, I guess along with Hugh Wade, that Udall had, had sent up here to babysit the, the Hickel Task Force that was writing that bill. Mm -hmm. And it was Vaughn who who uh, who said, well, what we need here, or, and what, well, Scoop wanted to have a study. And he originally, they had originally talked about having, contracting this out to like, not like Robert Nathan, but to somebody like that. And it was Bob Vaughn who, in fact, there's a memo March 5th of 68 from Vaughn to Stuart Udall saying that he, Vaughn, had talked Scoop out of going out with these private consultants and using the field <coughs> committee to basically do this study because both Clinton Anderson and Bob Bartlett had a lot of confidence in you guys and and that you guys could get this thing done relatively quickly. Now, the, the, the if you look at Alaska Natives in the land, that was delivered to Scoop on October 1 of 68. And then... And then on the October 15th of 68, well, scouts, well, you get out the field committee and look at it. I mean, the last days in the land. I know, but we took down 
Are you saying I, that personally, was I personally took down two copies. You see, one, the one, okay. one reason that that book is built is built like it is was that it was uh, uh, able to be uh, just uh, printed, you know, exactly uh, quickly. And we took down in the uh, as the as the parts came together. You can ask Bill Van Ness about this. You see, cause, and I handled all the printing with the, with the uh, uh, office of, of uh, government printing office, and um, uh, we took the the book itself in the fall of. Uh, early fall of 68 and it was game printed then by March of, of uh, no it was printed by March of 68 it was was taken down in the, in the fall of 67 and it was then printed the, the, the printing was finished in the, uh, the first editions came out in March of 68 and then uh, it, way into June or July before we got 4,000 of them and sent them everywhere but to back up, okay. so well, let me start. You're saying then that, that basically the the decision to start compiling the the data and the analysis that's in Alaska Natives in the land was then was in '67. Was way back in '67. Yeah. Was not then a direct. It was already in the in the funnel then before Absolutely. this whole thing started. '67. No, Esther okay. has a. Okay. Uh, uh, I think she has a copy of it, okay. or the archives I know has a copy of it. There's a, there's a letter that basically says uh, it's signed by three people, uh, or either two or three people, I think. I can't remember whether it's, anyway, signed by Udall and Jackson, and maybe Bartlett also. Hi. Hi, Don. Well, hi, how you doing? You come over and just... The report took nine months to write. And we had it uh, uh, in October, so I'm telling you, the, 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 uh, we started in January, or uh, February of 67. Okay. So it was, here we go back to the Udall thing in 66. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there was a decision uh, in a letter, a request letter, by signed at least by Jackson and Udall, and like I say, Esther may have a copy, but the archives certainly does, I know, uh, that said, go ahead and prepare this report. You'll You'll, you'll send it to Scoop Jackson and be paid for by Interior. Mm -hmm. The weirdest uh, uh, arrangement in, uh, in uh, history, as far as I know, because ultimately the report was never reviewed by the Bureau of the Budget and never reviewed, reviewed by the agencies of the Department of Interior before it went to Congress. Well, Unheard of today. There's a, there's a memo from Vaughn about that where he says that, uh, no, actually there's a memo from Bill Van Ness where he says that that's fitting punishment to the department because this is all their fault because if they'd been doing their job to begin with, we wouldn't be in this mess. Anyway, that, that's, that's a right. little vignette. <laughs> the other aspect of that um, was that some of the uh, uh, early drafts, Van Ness and, and Jackson had them all through that, all through that uh, year of Oh, starting at least from uh, uh, June or July of '67, um, up uh, up through uh, the fall when when the thing finally went to the printers, and uh, that thing was you know hand prepared uh, the book and, and the book had two reasons for being that size. One was the maps, and second was the fact that it uh, since it had to be 
map size and then also had to be hand prepared. It was double uh, page size and we could uh, print off uh, uh, precursors on the, uh, on the thing in the FAA and then uh, take them back there. Okay, well, um, at least on the, on the front of Alaska Natives in the land... Um, it says March 68. It's, right, but in terms of who did it, it says, it looks like it's, if I have this right, it was basically you and Bob Arnold and Esther were the staff people at that point. And Arnold Sussing. Was he involved at that point? Yes. Because yes. he is not listed on the inside. Oh, yes, yes. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. He's, okay. I, I, Okay. I'll go okay. get it for you if you want to go get the book. Okay. I'll, I'll oh, I'm not going to fight you. Anyway, uh, Doug Jones was involved right. earlier, but Doug Jones uh, did not actually write anything for Alaska Natives in the Land. Just think about that stuff. Okay, well, at the end of... of I was in charge of the book. Okay, and, uh, okay well, at the, at the uh, end, I mean, obviously, well, let me back up. Is it fair to say that Alaska Natives in the Land was basically a drawing together of all of the data that had been generated by others outside the field committee and you folks sort of synthesized with, it or with, did you do with, your a, own? with one exception, that's true, uh, uh, or two exceptions I would say, possibly three, but um, uh, the uh, aspects of that Bob Arnold wrote on health and uh, social condition of course came from outside. Some work he had done earlier uh, on population, he'd written a, a report on uh, uh, population dynamics of villages, and also he had written a thing on native hire, which had angered the military quite a bit at the time. But uh, uh, so that, but that was the only original work uh, that went into, into his part. Um, Esther's was, of course, a historic review of uh, the law and, uh, and uh, uh, withdrawals and various other things. Uh, mine was, was also uh, uh, a recapitulation of resource uh, information and uh, uh, land geology and ethnology. The only thing that was original, uh, and, and some of it was original on my part, was the subsistence, a lot of the subsistence stuff. However, there were two main sources of data, uh, and only two at that time, or three, actually, three sources. One was BIA village uh, uh, school teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, another was uh, the uh, Public Health Service uh, report on, uh, on dietary conditions. And, uh, oh, the other was Don Foote, uh, mm -hmm. Chapman, uh, stuff uh, he'd done up yeah, a point hope. Uh, but I had uh, basically uh, hired uh, three or four young native guys to go out to the villages and talk with the old people and uh, come back and uh, kind of be the messengers on, uh, on, uh, subsistence patterns around things. And from that, I computed that there's about 60 million acres involved. <clears throat> right. Well, that I leads into something for 69. <clears throat> right. Or, no, or, yeah. No, 70, 71. Right. Yeah. Well, well. Uh, at the last minute when you're, when you're with the White House, that was right. only Willie Hensley ever asked anything about that at that time.
Right. Well, um, one of the things about, about Alaska Natives and land is that, you know, the bulk of it is sort of the synthesis of data about what is the, 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 the map that we're drawing or the social political mm -hmm. map that we're drawing on. And then at the back, obviously, there is, is a framework for settlement. And in, in terms of, uh, and it really doesn't, in, in the Alaska Natives and the land document, it really, it hints at, but does not really do much about what a settlement should be other than just sort of analyzing a settlement structure. Now, was that done collectively? Did you guys sit down? Yes, it was a, a collective thing, uh, and uh, this was really the only involvement of Fitzgerald's. I mean, any, only, not you know, he was the boss, and we would tell him what to do, uh, or would keep tell him what we were doing. Right. But uh, uh, and he would, you know, be going back and forth with Washington people and so on. But um, uh, when it came to the synthesis and that framework, he he led that discussion. Um, well, now after uh, Alaska Natives in the Land was delivered, uh, Scoop then actually writes to Fitzgerald and says, I'd really like some very specific recommendations on, right. on all of this. And then there is basically a second document uh, prepared that eventually will lead us into the bill that I want to talk to you about in a second. But uh, Fitzgerald sort of claimed that second document more as his own. Was that also basically a... Uh, well, this is the I, stuff I, with the, with I, the, the, the statewide uh, development corporation and, and, oh, and no, getting into NPR. All, all, all discussed. Uh, we had uh, lengthy sessions, uh, the, the uh, five of us, and uh, uh, all of that was a, a general synthesis. And uh, different people uh, uh, came out on, on different uh, subjects. For example, the uh, um, on the, as I said before, the original idea on the corporation, as far as the field committee people were, other people may have had a corporate ideas, I don't know. Uh, certainly, uh, 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 what's his name, Barry up there? In Barry Jackson. Barry Jackson claims he had it, uh, but uh, whether he did or not, I don't know. But uh, Ours was a, a synthesis then that took us through the corporate idea and uh, uh, went through a whole thing and basically came down to a, a simple corporation and uh, uh, took a look at the municipal laws of the state of Alaska, how many people in the village and uh, for a uh, second-class city and all that kind of thing. And uh, so that was really a synthesis, uh, at least that's my memory. Okay, well, actually I want to couple things about that synthesis. One is that I, I, have, I have been persuaded as a result of my digging around in this that, that uh, the first time you see the corporation, and particularly the regional corporation up here, uh, is as a result of Barry Jackson and the Hickle Task Force bill. I, I agree to that. But, but the approach that you guys took, which was to have one statewide umbrella, umbrella and corporation. Be down with and, well, but leaving that sort of optional, if people want to have that, they can do that, but but it's basically yeah. going to be one mm. umbrella corporation. Do you recall why you folks uh, uh, sort of did not go along? I mean, obviously, the 
the Hickel Task Force bill that obviously the AFN loved at the time was already on the table at that point, and it had these regional corporations, etc. And you guys obviously rejected that approach in favor of, of the state. No, if you, no, that's not true. Okay. Uh, if you look at uh, Alaska Natives in the land, there were uh, 15 regions established on the basis of uh, homogeneity of uh, ethnic aspects, economics, resources, and so on. And uh, we were talking in terms of regions all the way through the period uh, of, from 60, as we were working on this thing. Uh, so uh, I would suggest to you that, and maybe others can verify this or not, I would suggest to you that the aspects of the the Hickel task force thing came out of the, the people hearing us talk about regions. And then, of course, the uh, 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 compromises were made later uh, from 15 to, uh, to 12. I think it was, some of them wanted seven. I think right. Charlie, Charlie wanted, wanted seven. Wanted seven. Uh, but anyway, that whoever, one of these, again, one of these things that kind of was in the air and uh, people picked it up different ways. I don't attribute okay. anything to anybody. Okay, well, um, one of the things that's sort of interesting about um, about the approach that you folks had that later got transferred into S1830 that I think separated you philosophically from the natives, because I think your analysis was, was somewhat more sophisticated, is, is that um, you know, you guys broke it down analytically into give the villages a township so that physically they have the curtilage, you know, the area inside the curtilage of the village, and then do something about subsistence. Classify the federal lands. Well, do something about yeah. it. I mean, that we, you know, that, that the, the issue of taking care of subsistence is separate from having to give out fee title to lands that are used for subsistence. Well, it's separate, but it's uh, uh, correlated. Well, except that you have it broken down into two separate, um, actually three separate categories. There's, there's give, give them, give everybody fee title to the actual village core and to fish camp sites and, and you know people that are yeah. living outside of the village, and then ten or twenty acres. Right, and then do something to protect subsistence and. and Right. And okay. In that sense, right. yeah. And that, and those but, are the but, three but, elements. But that, you do, but that you do not necessarily, in order to protect subsistence, have to give out fee title, and, and that's when you talk that's about right. that's when you proprietary jurisdiction of the federal and the state, right. Uh, right. Right. which actually is, ends up being the great great grandparent of. of well, of the yeah, I can tell you that the history of that. That's another story entirely, right. Right. because it was directly related to uh, what came in a, in uh, in an ilk. Right. But I, and I want to get to yeah, that. Yeah, I want to get to that. Um, but, and then the third thing was coming up with both payment for for land that had been lost and then also land that would, Aboriginal title that would be quieted as the result of the bill. And then as, in terms of that component, then you guys analyze that, well, you can either pay for that through actual money or you can pay for that through giving them fee title to land, and, and in terms of, of and it became various mixed bags, right, whatever right, you want to make right, the mix. You could, right, you can yeah. sort of pick from column A or pick yeah. from column yeah. B, yeah. and and the result of that kind of an analysis, which I'm not unattracted to in terms of the problem, 
is that it, it results in in uh, in less land in fee, but as part of a more comprehensive sort of socio-economic. Well, there was ten million in the first uh, Senate bill, if my memory is correct. Ten million plus the village townships. Well, it was it was or, or was maybe the townships were included in the ten million. It got. Uh, it was. I don't remember. It was you guys wanted to give everybody one township per village. Uh, and then the regions ten million. And then and then the regions would would I don't think they got ten million. I mean, no, I guess I guess the whole thing did come up to about ten million. You're right. I, I think so. You're right. Uh, You're right. And uh, uh, the the argument also uh, was that the uh, the acreage had to be a hell of a lot uh, uh, different in one place or another. Right. Well, actually, I'm going to Fitzgerald testifies to that quite yeah. quite eloquently in a, in a second here. But I guess my the, what I was leading up to in terms of a question is that in a philosophical sense that was far different from where AFN was at the time. AFN yes. just sort of with sort of a blunderbuss approach, they viewed this whole thing as aggregate acreage and give us forty million, give us sixty million and the quality of the acreage and how particular acreage would would or would not funnel into assisting them integrate. Well, they weren't talking 40 or 60 in the beginning. They were talking 80, weren't they? Well, yeah, but they were all over the lot. They were, uh, I mean, they were talking uh, 20, uh, 20 million acres was was uh, clearly more than Emil and uh, Burbridge and Willie thought they could get at the time Hickel went into into Washington. Right. Well, well, I guess the reason I went through all of that was to what extent when you folks were putting in, putting together, doing your thinking and putting together this package of recommendations that Jackson eventually would transfer into a bill, were you in communication with the Imanatis and the Willie Hensleys and were, were they? Yes, they were in and out uh, of the office, all of them were. Matter of fact, it was uh, interesting, of course, Emil was the only one that was, uh, Emil and Charlie and uh, Paul, so they were the kind of the first echelon. Uh, Burbridge came in one day, and he was still with the Public Health Service, and he said, uh, and this I think had to have been uh, 67, came in and he said, uh, he said, wanted to come in and sit with me personally, and uh, he was uh, then a basketball coach. Uh, anyway, he said, what do, you, what do you think this native land claim thing is going to go? And uh, should I uh, quit my job and get into it? <laughs> I said, yeah, why don't you give it a shot? <laughs> That's a true story. And then uh, uh, Willie uh, was also a later comer into this thing. But I, I, I tell you a little vignette about uh, the three of them, Bob Arnold and I, meeting at Don's Green Apple the day before they went to Washington on the Hickel... Uh, Hickel uh, uh, more to your coffee, guys? Oh, I'd take another cup of coffee. That'd be great. No more for me, thanks. Uh, on, the, on the Hickel uh, confirmation here. Mm -hmm. That was a funny damn day. Anyway. So, so basically you were, you guys were aware then at the time yeah. that, that AFN did not necessarily agree with the kind of analysis. Oh, that yeah. Were, but uh, uh, AFN, uh, uh, well, we had, Esther used to prepare these, you've probably seen them, the analysis of all the different right. bills and right. so on. And uh, I don't think that uh, AFN bill was worth a shit. I mean, 
quote him. <laughs> That's a perfectly historical, valid historical judgment. Anyway, record. it was. Well, which was obviously really the Barry Jackson, though, because he, I mean, in terms of who the intellectual, uh, I've been totally persuaded that Jerry was, or that Barry was the dominant intellectual force. That was I think that's true. Behind that bill, uh, much more than Cliff Grow or the natives yeah. or anybody. Well, uh, eventually this, in you know, Fitzgerald responds to Scoop's request for a specific, um, in terms of, settlement after Alaska Natives and the land are delivered, and then Scoop asks the Department of the Interior, as I understand it, as a drafting service. That's right, Bruce somebody or other. To, to take, right, your approach and to turn it into legislation. However, uh, we also did it. Okay, well, that was, that was my question. Was, was I, I did, because I had had, uh, well, none of the others had any experience in drafting bills, and I'd had quite a bit. And, um, so I uh, uh, framed out a, a lot of the uh, language uh, in various sections, and then it and Bruce's went to, my memory is that Bruce's went to Van Ness, our stuff went to Van Ness, uh, I and, and Arlen were back there, cobbled this thing together. Okay, well now I guess my... But you'd have to ask Van Ness. He would be better memory. Now, when, but, uh, when did you first, uh, did you know Van Ness before this process started, or did you meet him as part of this process? No, I met him as part of this process, but I uh, uh, was the first. I was probably the, f the first one with Fitzgerald to meet, meet there because I was I'd had, had some uh, uh, knowledge of the Hill, of course, from a year fellowship and then also I was back and forth a lot when I worked in the commerce mm -hmm. thing. Okay, now was there... And in the Library of Congress. Right, then, then is it your recollection, and I will, I'll talk to Bill about this, but that, that he basically pulled in all this drafting and then eventually really put together the final version of, of the bill or was yes, it done through the Interior Department and then eventually just delivered up there? Uh, well, it was done through the Interior Department and delivered up there, but it, it uh, had a lot of problems. And I don't think, my, I don't believe that uh, Scoop introduced the Interior Bill verbatim, per no, se. He, did, he didn't, and one of the things that dropped away, and, and they viewed it as a mistake, of course, because there's never anything done that's a mistake like this, is that, that your whole, you know, your great-great-grandparent of, of Title Eight of Anoka, that whole section about what to do about, about Oh, but no, that stayed in the Senate bill. Right, no, it was in the Senate bill well, introduced, but there's some talk at, in the hearing record about how somehow, in terms of the cobbling together that had to be done by the committee that, that in the drafting service that Interior had provided, that somehow that had not been included in the stuff that they had sent out. That's right. right. Yeah, I wrote, because I know I wrote the, uh, the, the, there were two or three things that were, were, were one, uh, uh, there were uh, villages, um, uh, like on King Island, Nowixa, so on, places that I knew from my own experience that uh, people spent uh, time at. And I had written also, as part of that whole uh, genre there of subsistence and the hist return to historic places that were in, in, the, uh, in the Senate version. So the subsistence classification, the the acreage for hunting and fishing camps, 
and the return to historic places. I know I wrote those from the very beginning uh, in, in the language that they were written in. Okay, well, the reason I ask about the subsistence thing is that in that bill eventually gets introduced in, in April of 69, and you were back there, and, and Joe Fitzgerald and everyone, there was a hear, right. hearing on it. Now, wasn't and there a passage in 68 in the out of the Senate in no. the fall of 68? It was that no. No, the August only, of 69 then, it was it? was August of, uh, of in, in August of 69, the, the, then the administration comes in and testifies on on what it thinks formally of S. 1830. And the reason I asked about subsistence is that they come in and testify in opposition. So we do not support right, the, the position Mm -hmm. uh, with respect to how to handle subsistence that is described in S. 1830. Right. We think it's all unnecessary and, and right. we dumped this mess off on the state of Alaska and right. we, don't, we don't like yeah. this. So, right. mm -hmm. so I guess my, my question was, that correlates back with this drafting thing about how they tried to leave that out to begin with. Mm -hmm. Were you, do you recall sort of fighting with them at the time? No, we did, there was no dialogue whatsoever. Okay. Uh, except uh, internally in the field committee, I remember Esther and I, Taking a look at uh, this fellow's name was Bruce, I believe, uh, that uh, was in the solicitor's office that drafted the bill. Hmm. I don't know whether that was his first name or last name. Hmm. Esther might remember. Hmm. But anyway, we, we thought it was inadequate, and I think uh, we carried that uh, uh, message to Van Ness, and he also agreed, I think. Okay. Um, uh, do you recall what? After the bill was introduced, do you recall what the natives thought of, of this whole approach? They, did they come to you at Well, the, the, the biggest uh, thing that happened, uh, first with Alaska natives in the land, you know, I mean, you've got to remember the, the uh, dialogue of the, town, of the times here in Alaska was uh, the Times, Atwood, and so on. I mean, the, and uh, uh, even Boyko also, Boyko was adamantly against a, a settlement of any kind. And uh, uh, basically when Alaska Natives in the land came out then and, the, and uh, legislation was going forward in the spring of, say, 68, or summer of 68, the issue became how much, not whether or not, whether or not was settled, there was going to be a settlement, but how much then became the argument. And that's I think that was the critical thing. Uh, and so the, the dialogue from the AFN point of view, it seems to me, uh, uh, was joined with the conservative types like Atwood and so on, on how much. And, uh, right, well that's certainly... And, and how the mix was, and how the mix of, right. of right. pieces. Now, part of the, well, sort of taking you through the, through the chronology, what happens next is, is that bill gets introduced in April of 69, there's this hearing in, in August of 69 where the administration basically comes in and hickles. I mean, uh, yeah, hickles people come in and say, you know, we don't like subsistence. We don't like uh, uh, leasing pet for. There's a bunch of other stuff. Then there's a markup that Jackson starts trying to hold in, in the late fall of 69, November and December. And that is when uh, the roof comes out up here in terms of Atwood and all these people saying that this is all terrible. And Stevens and Gravel try to put a deal together 
that point, I don't know whether you're even aware of all this, in, in yeah. December of 69. Yeah. And they have a meeting actually in late November, November 22nd of 69, privately to try and see if they can cobble together something that Scoop will accept that is sort of based upon the work that you guys have done. Okay, but you, you have to remember there's another thing happening. Mm -hmm. At the same time, in May of 69, was the first hearings on the pipeline. Right. I mean, because I went back, uh, another f uh, professor, soil professor, and I went back and staffed that out for Scoop and met with the uh, oil industry and interior and the conservationists and had all the questions for Van Ness and, uh, and Scoop all laid out. Right, well, actually, uh, and, but that was, you see, that, that's what also got into the pot. Okay, well that actually sort of anticipates my question, because where I was going with that was uh, once those executive markup sessions were starting in late 69, were, to what extent were you involved in all of that? Was, were you still with the field committee at that I was point? Were you with the on field detail committee. down to Van Ness? Yes, I, yes, I was back and forth quite a lot. On, on, uh, and that uh, was meeting with the Navy uh, and uh, various other things for Van Ness, in other words. And the Tussing was also there, uh, in and out. And um, uh, then uh, when I left the field committee in 70, I still went back. And uh, oh, I had my own uh, operation in the university. I just spent the money and went anyway. <laughs> I mean, but I saw I still kept involved with the Senate side. Mm -hmm. Uh, all the way up through uh, uh, the passage, right. and then wrote, wrote parts of the conference report with Van Ness. Right, I want to talk to you about that in a second. Did when when did you then in '70? When did you leave the field committee? That May of uh, May of '70. '70. Okay, because well, as part of those markup sessions, the reason I wanted to ask about that is that what eventually becomes of some concern to AFN is having to walk back and forth between Stevens and Gravel on the Senate side. I guess, do you have any recollection? I mean, eventually their non-ability to work together would become legendary. Well, you, uh, Van, you can ask Van Ness, but Van Ness totally disregarded both of them. And and uh, so did Tussing and I. I mean, uh, I met, we met with uh, Doug Jones uh, and... Uh, what, Birch was... Hmm? Was Birch Stevens' guy, I think? Or? I think so, but I mean, I... The only <laughs> no, the only involvement we had with uh, Stevens uh, outside of listening to him, to him shout at us <laughs> uh, uh, during the hearings, right. you know, uh, uh, was later uh, uh, after the pa passage, the night of the party, uh, on the uh, on the passage of the bill, uh, Tussing and I got quite high, and uh, we had lunch scheduled with with Stevens the next day, and that was a disaster. I, don't have to tell all the details right. of this. <laughs> <laughs>
fall off track here. Right. Um, uh, one of the things about your proposal was was this business about opening up. I guess while you were dealing with the Navy, was trying to open up uh, Pet Four and to be able to use those revenues mm -hmm. to finance the settlement. And, and Fitzgerald says at the hearing that that is sort of a a lodestar, lodestone part of your whole package. And do you recall basically whose idea that was? I mean, it was it was uh, it centered in either Fitzgerald or Tussing. Mm -hmm. uh, all the monetary stuff. The rest of us had nothing except uh, 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 Tussing essentially did all the monetary analysis. And uh, uh, the only reason I got involved with the Navy uh, was because I knew a little geology and, uh, and knew the country. You see, the, the one thing that <laughs> no one else in the field committee knew the country except me. I mean, that was... And I knew it quite well. Right, so you sort of the uh, I was the performed the role that Dick Stenmark played during D two sort of well thing. in the, in his terms of reference right, yeah right, yeah right, different terms right. of reference right I understand yeah. that, but, but anyway okay uh, one of the things after after um, the first hearing at which your bill is unveiled in April of sixty nine uh, there's a lot of talk on the record where where Scoop and Stevens ask everyone, I guess all the natives are back for that hearing, and you and Fitzgerald are back. And uh, 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 now, you know, one thing that doesn't ring right to me, yeah. there was a, there were hearings in the summer of 68, there had to have been. Yeah, well there were field hearings. Wasn't there some in Washington too? Yeah, in, in August of, uh, oh, of 68. Yeah. No, first hearing, uh, oh, oh, summer, yeah, there were, yes, there was, there were there were field hearings in the Senate in February of '68. Then in August of '68, there was one day of hearings in the Senate and one day in the House. Uh, wasn't in, there in a mock-up of a bill in, in August of '68? No, no, no. Well, I think Actually, because the whole thing was going to pieces, and that's uh, in fact that's famous because that's when when. Um, when so you're saying the three passages were '69, '70, and '71. No, what happened? Of the on the Senate side. On the Senate side, the chronology is um, bills introduced at the beginning of '68, which were the original AFN bill from '66, the the Barry Jackson right. Hickel Task Force bill, right. um, et cetera, et cetera. Then there were hearings in, in February of '68. There was a day of hearings in August of '68 to confirm that. Everything was going to pieces in '68. Well, wasn't S1830? No, S1830 was not until the new Congress in '69, and in, in and so. Well, I, my it, memory, you know. Okay, so well, no, I mean, 20, there. 20 years ago, six uh, years, 25 years, ago. 25 years ago. I mean, there's no reason you should be thinking about these things constantly. So, so uh, another reason I know is because I just haven't been, yeah. been reading this stuff. But could have sworn it was early. Now, so S1830 was introduced in April. There was a hearing in April uh, at which you folks presented basically the proposal. Yeah, and that's when Stevens shouted at Fitzgerald. Right. And said and, uh, that Fitzgerald was saying, right, in fact, you can even see it. If you can, if you know Ted, you can see it. I was just reading the hearing record a couple days ago. That God, that was a fright. That uh, Fitzgerald and I were sitting there together. 
and uh, I think Esther might have. No, no, Esther no. Was, was she was there. She was. She, she was wasn't there. at the table with us, mm. so she was. She was there. I don't think Bob was there. He wasn't there. And Tussing, I don't remember. He, he was there or not. I think he was there also. Anyway, God, it was a fright. Yeah, well, and I think Fitzgerald just always just quieted up. They're not gonna fight with this idiot. Right. Well, actually, it was uh, it was over. Fitzgerald said he was trying to make the distinction about how I know the natives really would like a lot of land, and there are a lot of people who would just like to dump X million acres of land off around the villages, and that would make the natives very happy because they're off on this jag of we want X amount of acreage. But that basically, what I'm trying to tell you is you have to look at the quality of various categories of acreage, and that that the, and the qualitative analysis is more important than the raw numbers and. And Stevens then launches into this tirade about how what a disservice it is that you're running around saying that there are people unidentified strongmen in Alaska that are prepared to just dump shit land off on the natives in order to get this thing done and just you know. And if you've ever been yelled at by Ted, you can sit there with a yeah. cup of coffee and read this thing and realize. Also, that was the time uh, uh, when uh, AFN, uh, Emil, and uh, Justice Goldberg. And, that, and basically, a very important point came out in that, and that's when the AFN native leadership at the time testified that there were no tribes in Alaska. Right. <coughs> if my memory is right. Right. Well, that's a whole another ball game. Right. Well, actually, I want to. Actually, that leads me into two questions. One is that was the first time that Goldberg appeared, and what what was your uh, one of the things that comes off in that hearing record is that Goldberg sort of mutts around like he didn't really know much and then says that he thinks that a reasonable amount of acreage is what we need here, but he doesn't say what reasonable is. And then Emil testifies and says 40 million acres. But it's really the beginning of what really mm -hmm. became a total lack of communication, it seems to me, in the party. Well, who was the other? Uh, uh, Ramsey Clark? Yeah, he was there also, I believe, my memory is right. Did, do you remember what your impressions were of Goldberg at the time? Did they well, I think you're, you've spelled it out fairly well. I don't think he uh, was up to the mark on, on information, kind of winging it, as uh, yeah, well, he was prone to do many, <laughs> many times. Right. Well, did not, the, not to denigrate the man, because right. I think he was a great man, myself. Well, but if he didn't have... Yeah, but he wasn't up prepared. Well, they talk at that hearing about since everybody's back there, you're back there, the natives are back there, the state, the state is back there, about having everyone try and get together during that spring and see if you guys can can basically negotiate more of this stuff. Do you recall ever being involved in any activities like that? Nope. Okay. okay. And then the other guy that shows up in addition to Goldberg... Well, to no, no, that's not to say okay. that there weren't uh, meetings uh, Natives and uh, native leadership and and uh, uh, and I and others in the field committee talked. Van Ness talked. We talked to government people. I mean, but there was no like a huge table. Where no, everybody not said to, not to my memory ever ever. Okay, and then the other the other uh, just to complete the cast of characters for for sixty nine seventy. The other person that showed up at that hearing, of course, is Keith Miller, who has just become governor because Wally has run off. Washington. What was your impressions of, of Miller? <laughs> He's an utter ass. <laughs> I mean, did he? He didn't know anything about the subject. 
had you known Miller before he became oh, yeah. governor? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, he certainly did not, I, in my view, he delayed the settlement at least a year. If he had been, he had, uh, had had a different attitude about it. Oh, great. Thank you very much. Do you much. think it ever come? Oh, I had every confidence. Thanks. Um, no, I don't think he knew what he was uh, doing. And uh, no, that wasn't just all his fault. I don't think the the state its state agencies knew what the state didn't know what it was talking about. And Boyko had not given left any decent legacy of of uh, intellectual thought behind. Um, he came one day to a uh, a meeting that we were having on public land policy. I had he Boyko uh, or Miller. Waco, and I had uh, I had managed to uh, to get some uh, federal money to do a supplementary study to Aspinall's uh, Public Land Law Review Commission on Alaska because they weren't really doing anything on Alaska. So I I uh, had had some experience in getting money, so I got some money and added way added to the field committee uh, budget and. Uh, we uh, hired the University of Wisconsin, did some of the analysis. Anyway, we were having a big meeting in a lot of Alaskan agencies, and the University uh, of Wisconsin people, and Fitzgerald, and myself, and Esther, primarily. And uh, Boyko shows up and uh, starts in this tirade uh, about native land claims. And of course, we weren't talking, the meeting was not about native land claims. And he goes on and ranting and raving, and then uh, Fitzgerald very quietly as he had a way of doing it. Uh, Mr. Boyko, I think you're in the wrong meeting. Well, eventually, in terms of the chronology, eventually there is a bill reported by uh, the Senate Interior Committee, but it is not until almost a year later, like April of 70. And at that time, it sort of looks like the bill that you folks had introduced, but it's really much more complicated at that point. And well, yeah, by that time, uh, the uh, uh, I had written in the Senate version a section uh, that said there would be a study uh, of uh, Secretaries of Interior and Agriculture do a study for three years uh, on um, parks and refuges in the National Forest. And that was the precursor then of 17D2, of, uh, right. which came in the next, or in the last version. Right, well, I want to ask you about that. So then you were, in addition to writing that section, um, well, actually, let me, that's a good spot to maybe stop and ask about this, is that I do not see the paw prints of the environmental community involved in this at all. They weren't. As a matter of fact, they didn't even know about it. Okay, well you, again, obviously you eventually were to become sort of the major liaison between up here and, and the environmental community. What, were, were you, I mean, in later, well, actually, year, in later not, years? Not, not uh, actually, Mark was uh, uh, very much, he's the one that ran the, uh, Fitzgerald had gone in 69 to, uh, uh, conservation community here and said uh, we we uh, in the field committee staff are, are too involved we have no time to work on plans for parks and mainly parks are what he was interested in. Anyway uh, so uh, 
uh, Mark organized a thing was called the uh, Living Room Floor Society and uh, Maps on the Floor Society and uh, uh, it had uh, a number of people in, from state and federal government that uh, were pretty well incognito all the time because uh, they knew the country but uh, they kept out of things uh, kept their and, and Mark had to do keep their names quiet and so on. Anyway, they uh, had put together, started putting in, in 69 and a lot of information together on these things that then ultimately ended up in, uh, uh, in uh, February of 72 with the map. See, basically it was a conservation map, the only one that was available from Alaskans, not from Washington or from anything else that uh, had enough information for the withdrawals. For the Morton withdrawals. Yeah. And well, uh, then to go back on that, though, was on the conservation involvement, it was in uh, 71. Uh, there was a uh, conference in 71 uh, that Mark went to, and uh, uh, there was people like Wayburn and so on there. And uh, uh, they, they finally had just uh, got acquainted with... Uh, with uh, the fact that there was a, a, a little blurb in here, maybe we should. No, they didn't know about the. hadn't read the, the Senate bill. They uh, had only uh, been involved uh, with the idea. Now the natives are getting all this. Why don't we get something? And Mark stood up at this uh, national meeting and said, "Right, and it's already studied, and uh, we've got the maps and the whole thing. And uh, if you look carefully at the Senate version." Uh, uh, there's a, uh, a study called for uh, in there, and she's the one who got the alerted them. And then, then shortly after that, as uh, we're getting ahead of the story, hey Chance, come on, what? Go, go. Uh, getting a little bit ahead of the story, but uh, uh, where the 80 million acres came from, I can tell you that exactly. That's okay, a, well, let me let me another get story. to the, I want to get to that, but. Uh, but so for the for where we are right now, for '69 and '70, then in the Senate, yeah. uh, the environmental community then is is not involved, and to the extent that this provision is in in the bill that the committee eventually reports, that's just basically your good offices. Uh, Bill and I, Bill says, look, we're carving this. Why don't we do something on that? So I wrote the section on that. Okay, um, but it was uh, it was kind of a we were talking about other aspects of land management, and it just kind of came out of Van Ness and I discussion in the staff room of his office, and it just batted off the section. That was all. So right. I mean, I'll ask, I'll ask Bill about this. But, yeah. but is, it the, is this the kind of detail, considering all the, the either the benefit or the trouble <laughs> that it caused later, depending upon who you talk to, that that you guys just did this on your own? This was not something that he had to take to scoop, or do you think it's all done on our own? Also, you see the well. I I don't know what he took to school. Right. Uh, uh, well, I you know he took. Uh, pre presumably, he briefed uh, Scoop on things like the uh, uh, federal state planning commission thought that got thrown in. Presumably, he briefed him on the, on the uh, interior agriculture land studies. Uh, but I think they were all regarded as filler. Okay, well, or, you know, to take care of constituents, 
or, or interest groups that had not yet emerged. Right. <laughs> right. So you're actually doing gratuitously doing people that should memory. have been protecting their own interests a favor. And they but they weren't around, around yet. Okay. All right, well, it wasn't until the thing moved to the house. Right. Well, that's actually my next question because basically for a whole variety of reasons that aren't relevant to this tape, the, the bill that is reported by the Senate Interior Committee in the, in the spring of 1970 is really the bill that gets through the Senate in, in uh, July of 70 relatively unscathed. The, the right. natives are not, led by Goldberg, are in no position to go around. Now that's the one, though, however, the acreage was doubled to 20 million. Right. If my memory is right. Right. And Fred Harris had an, had an amendment on right. the floor to make it 40, but he got they got just stomped. I mean, they lost that. Yeah, I think Etook uh, uh, was involved with Harris, if my memory is right on that. Right. But what's interesting is is that there was, it was basically, when you could beat 88 to 12, that means that you're not, there's no real attempt to go around the chairman. And, and it's interesting that that same year, you know, that uh, that uh, with the White House's help, the, you know, the Taos Blue Lake Indians, I mean, stomped Scoop Jackson and Clint Anderson on the floor, and, and that sort of thing was possible in theory, but no one tried it. But so I guess the, the point is that in terms of the Senate story, the Senate story, before we get to the conference, is really what happened inside the committee. It didn't really change much either. You have to remember that the, the rules of the Senate did not require uh, uh, open meetings. Right. <coughs> right. And Right. Now, it was really, I didn't appreciate I didn't hit Congress until the D2 days, and of course by then the yeah. Watergate babies had, yeah. had opened the place up, but, uh, but, uh, which was what's so interesting about this raw transcript from Aspen. Well, I think you were able to do a hell of a lot better job on legislation uh, before it got all opened up. That's my view. I think, Absolutely. I think um, this totally... You couldn't possibly get through a, an analysis uh, of a complex issue uh, today like we did in the days. Right. Well, I totally on the side, but I, mean, I tell Kay Brown that all the time, this commitment to, there should be accountability, but all that happens is that you force the real exchange of views into people's offices, now rather than, now rather than having them there on the dais. Yeah. But anyway, that's another story. The, the, the most interesting thing before we get to conference uh, about the environmental community is, of course, the whole Udall Sailor Amendment on the the House side. I mean, basically, as you know, the Senate passes a bill in 70, the whole thing dies, everyone has to start over again mm -hmm. in 71, the White House then gets involved, it's yeah. totally far off your brief, right. uh, and then sort of almost simultaneously, the House and the Senate eventually go to the floor in 71, although the House actually goes first by, by a little bit, because the Senate wasn't going to move until Aspinall finally got out of his death, but the big fight on the House floor was obviously the Udall Sailor Amendment, and uh, I don't recall, you don't recall that. Uh, I, I vague, I, what was the essence of it? And then it, it was basically a, a was that the planning thing? Yeah, and it was withdrawals. It was basically oh, yeah. the, okay. the great, the, you know, it was, it was sort of like a humongous 17 D2, except except much more from the from the point of view of the natives in the state and the oil, oil industry oppressive. Was there another name, you know, the N or a K or some kind of an amendment, the... Keel Amendment? Keel. Right. Is that, is that what you're 
Yeah, well, no, the Udall Sailor, Sikiel tried, all Udall Sailor was on the floor was the Keel Amendment in committee, is my recollection. Okay. That Keel had tried to okay, get that, I, all right, to all get right. that so amendment. So they were in. the same thing. Right. Okay. Well, when they got to the floor, then, and this seems to be the first time that the environmental community. And that failed. Right. It failed. Okay. Exactly. Now, then I can tell you the follow-up on yeah. that. Right. So, uh. I was back there working with Van Ness on something, and uh, I was staying with Harry Crandall, who was an old friend, and uh, matter of fact, I'd brought to Washington years before uh, in the Fish and Wildlife Service, and uh, he was involved with all the concert. He was then in the Wilderness Society, and he was involved with all, all this business. Uh, with Mo Udall and, and the amendment and so on. So anyway, there's a meeting called uh, for uh, Mo's office and all the conservationists and the whole raft of Brandborg and uh, and uh, anyway, all the groups were were, were there and Harry uh, took me along. So uh, I had known Udall when I uh, had the thing in the in the uh, in the. Uh, in the Congress, I worked for Al Oldman of Oregon, so I, I knew you all. And um, anyway, uh, uh, I came in, and uh, Udall says, uh, "Dave, what are you doing here?" And I said, "Well, I guess I'm supposed to be some kind of an expert witness." <laughs> and uh, and so uh, they all sit down, and uh, they start out. And Brandborg starts out uh, with uh, uh, Mo says, uh, "How many how many acres do we need here?" And uh, Brandborg, this is almost verbatim now. And I'm Bra sorry, who's Brandborg? Uh, Brandborg was the, uh, the executive director of the Wilderness mm -hmm. Society. Harry worked under mm -hmm. him. Yeah. And uh, uh, Brandborg says, well, uh, uh, God, what's the name of uh, This went out of my head, um, but I, I, the tip of my tongue, but. Uh, uh, Doctor with the Sierra Club. Oh, Weyburn. Weyburn says uh, there should be 150 million acres. And uh, it talks about 150 million acres for a few minutes, and Udall turns to me and he says, how many acres should there be, Dave? And I said, well, there are 36 and a half million acres of, that you could call crown jewels. Really exquisite thing. So immediately, there's this uh, discussion. Well, how about 90? This is, 90 was a figure mentioned. Then somebody says this, and I didn't say another word. And pretty soon, Mo says, well, 80 million acres sold. <laughs> and that's how, it, that's how it happened. And that was all the rationale there ever was to 80 million acres. Now, in the meantime, after they get this 80 million acres and the conservation community comes back to uh, the Alaska Floor and the Living Room Floor Society and said, we need 80 million acres. Well, these guys had been working for uh, a couple of years, and all they could get was 63, is 63 million, something like that, and uh, they had a hell of a time finding the yeah. Rest as of the a matter of fact, uh, just a hell of a time. Right. Well, technically, as it, as the as the text ended up being enacted, it was up to 80 million. They were yeah. under no right. obligation to find no, every last bit of it. It's a practical matter, right? Yeah, that's what they wanted. Right. To do. 
Right. Well, now, then was that... How many acres did you finally come back with uh, when you went, when the Morton map went in? We had the original request. Eighty million? Eighty million. Mm. But uh, you, you had had when, we when had uh, you had 63 or 5, mm. something like that, and uh, you had a hell of a time getting the rest of it, didn't you? Yeah, we managed to get it through things like Wabasit Rivers and, right. and a lot of stuff the government put in that we didn't have. Mm. We didn't have a number of the refuges on the Yukon. Right. Some of that stuff is crap. Right. Well, that's <laughs> all Harold did. You know, making the refuge everything west of Kalskag was yeah. all Harold's spark. Yeah, and nothing, nobody wanted that. Oh, either, right. you know. so actually, this is the kind of story, if Ted Stevens was here, he would absolutely be... 80 feet in the sky right now, growing the stack over. <laughs> pleasure. Be a pleasure. Right. <laughs> so. why, don't, why don't you tell Mitchell what you did to Stevens? <laughs> no, maybe you better now. <laughs> it was pretty dirty. It's pretty gross. Gross, yeah. I'll tell him it is. I'm going to be on tape. All right, well, I'll turn it off and ask you before I leave. <laughs> so, uh, this meeting where this 80 acres was pulled out of the sky by Mo, was this, uh, I'd have to go back and check the actual text of the Udall Sailor Amendment. Was this sort of getting prepared for, for Udall Sailor, or was this... No, no, they'd, they'd already lost. Lost, and so then this yeah. was when eventually they were going to go to the conference committee. Right. Okay. Or, or, or to something. I, right. I, I don't that's where remember. But they basically lost. Right. The Kyle thing was dead, and there was some uh, some aspects. I don't know whether that came, which came first, the chicken or the egg here, but the the uh, uh, the uh, senator from Nevada there. Uh, Bible. Bible. There was a Bible was doing something also on this, with uh, I think Weyburn was involved. And I think that didn't go anywhere either. Maybe it came later. I don't remember that. Well, this whole thing got got stuck in during the conference, That's which is the yeah, next thing I want yeah. to talk to you about. Actually, you'll be interested to know that I talked to Katz once, and, you know, Katz was staffing Stevens. <laughs> and uh, that when Stevens agreed to what became 17D2 in the conference committee, then the meeting broke up, and Katz says he remembers walking down the hall with Ted and said, that seems very bad. I mean, how they're, you know, his sort of view of things. You know, why did you do that? And Ted says, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. That's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and Katz has always remembered that, that, you know, again, in terms of how Ted likes to, to reorient history to his liking, that if, yeah. if he would go, he'd have a conniption. He might have that, that coronary that you were thinking about if he had to be reminded that he could have stopped the whole... Well, could he? Well, he also did uh, another story, but he also was the one that screwed up the subsistence thing in the Senate. Well, I mean, the House version of, the, of an Anilka was a hell of a lot different than what came out of the Senate. Right. Well, actually, I want to get to the yeah before we get to the to Anilka um, and, and subsistence because it does relate back to the land claims. But uh, that eventually does get us to the conference committee. Yeah. And what was your involvement during the conference? I I'd like to. Right, this is oh, a, sure. on the tape here. Sure. Right. Okay, that's I right. put something in about uh, the environmentalists of Alaska when they were offering the map and the, and had decided on the yeah, boundaries sure. and all. Oh, I'm not going to stop. Uh, we agreed. We allowed.
Alaska conservationists, which was uh, Sierra Club, uh, Isaac Walton League, um, Alaska Conservation Society, and the Alaska Wilderness Council, uh, we all agreed that we would not challenge any claim that the natives made on any of the lands we had so designated mm -hmm. that they could make their claim. We would not fight them under any circumstances. We would not fight them. That's, that's true. Right. What, what years would that have been? Was that that was, was, it was 71. 71. 71. Okay. And, uh, and then with the uh, land, with the, um, with the Nilka too. Uh, and we felt that they would be over-selecting and that once the pieces in our proposals fell out, then we would fight for them. And we fought the National Conservationist tooth and claw on that one in Washington, D.C., and really forced them to accept it. And so in the very beginning, until after the lands began to fall out, uh, the conservation community, uh, particularly of Alaska, held held the nationals in, in total, feet to the total, fire. Su total support of the natives. Hmm. Well, actually, I mean that's totally off the Claims Act, but the, in my view, no. I mean, well, it was involved with the. Claims. Well, no, I understand, but I'm saying that in, in terms of, of Anilka, I I think as I look back on it, that the it was over before it started because because of that kind of thing, the environmental community and the native community basically were in communication and had cut their own deal before Anoka ever really started. And, and the state never could recover from that. Never only some of the Well, in the context that he means with the right. state being left right. out right. of it. Yeah. Right, right, right. And only some of the native corporations that were sharp, like Arctic Slope, uh, knew what, what our agreement That's was, Come on. that we would honor their claims. Right. Well, now, who is, who is it in the Washington level that didn't agree with that. Oh, everybody. Hmm. I mean, they didn't have any personal feeling about what was going on here. They saw it as the opportunity to protect uh, special places. Okay. Well, no, I, uh, I think that's an important uh, thing from that perspective. But they did, uh, I mean, we ra the, the Alaska group just raised absolute hell over and over about the kinds of, well, there was one place in, uh, in the Brooks Range that there was going to be a down and dirty fight about some of Anaktubik's choices, and and uh, we forced Waverly. We forced him, and he had to withdraw his support. In fact, we crippled the Sierra Club over and over on some things that they were, they really needed politically to be allied with their allies, but they ended up. Yeah, well, you had, you, she was on the board of the Sierra Club at the time, so the national board. Mm -hmm. so. No, that was oh, afterwards. That was afterwards. Okay. Afterwards, yeah. So this would have been all during the the immediate post uh, enactment era when everybody's making their land selections and right, and, right, yeah. right. Okay. And I was very proud that uh, it was honored all the way until the lands began to fall out. Right. It's not being honored now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, it's not. Yeah. Right. Uh, also for uh, uh, for the Cape benefit that was uh, Mark Hickok, who was uh, probably much more than Dave. Uh, at the center of the Alaska environmental uh, movement, much more uh, than I. Birth. I was here. behind the scenes, but that was. Well, that leads us actually to the to the ANCSA conference committee, <coughs> and to what extent were you involved in 
Not at all. And the actual, I mean, I was around down there and uh, would talk with, uh, uh, I was writing things with Van Ness for some reason or other. And uh, uh, I don't remember in what context, though. Maybe it was preparedness for report or, or something, you know, uh, for the for the conference report. Maybe it was preparedness. I don't know. It was some, you know, doing something like that, or it might have been on some other legislation. Well, I don't you know. were not inside the room during the conference. Like, no, like I was Van not. Ness would have been. No, I was not inside the room, and uh, nor was I in the hall. But I had. Uh, I would meet. Uh, I saw Wickwire and Charlie and some of the others, and they'd tell me what little they knew. And the only involvement then I had with the conference uh, uh, report was that I wrote a uh, page uh, 45 or whatever it is on subsistence and uh, and a few other uh, parts of it. Oh, uh, the easement thing, which later became a hell of a damn battle, but finally went all the way after five years of cats and some of the others screwing it up and went back and came out exactly. Interior finally did what the right. Congress committee said. What a mess that was. Right. Anyway, there were a couple <coughs> of things: easements and and subsistence. Okay, well, actually, the reason I I wanted to take you to that was because of subsistence. Because I know you had told me years ago that that you had been the the guy that had drafted the the famous paragraph about subsistence in the conference committee report, and and I think the first. The question that comes to my mind is, is, and maybe you don't know the answer, is why did the subsistence provision that was that was uh, in the Senate bill <coughs> drop out in the conference to begin? Well, I don't know the answer to that. I uh, and uh, I asked Van Ness that many times, and he didn't seem to know. He said, "Well, or maybe he just shrugged and said, well, it just fell out or something." I've often wondered uh, whether it was a, a White House trade-off. Or interior White House dealing with Palmer and uh, and uh, Don Wright and so on. They they doubled the the fee acreage and they uh, they dropped out the uh, subsistence acreage. And I don't think anybody realized except uh, uh, historically uh, uh, Willie Hensley was the only one that uh, there was a meeting here on a Sunday night in uh, late. Uh, November uh, AFN meeting, and I got this call from Willie about 10 o'clock at night. Would I come down and uh, meet with the AFN about uh, subsistence acreage? And I, and this is when the 40 million had just come on the table, as I remember the thing. And I said, well, fine. You've got a choice here. You got 20 million in the Senate version, and uh, up to about 60 million acres on uh, in subsistence against. 40 million acres uh, of uh, fee title. And uh, Willie, as my memory is, is the only one that wondered about that. So what was the better deal? Yeah, uh, uh, clearly uh, Eben and uh, some of the others. Uh, right, but what the thing that, that dropped out, I mean, obviously in the, the Jacksonville gave them the choice. <coughs> and. Um, but what dropped out was that there had also been this provision that you had drafted in the that had gone all the way through the Senate bill both years, which was this business about being able to classify right. federal and also the, the hunting and fishing things 
which was uh, put in there deliberately so it wouldn't get into the damn business of all of these. Uh, uh, oh God, I can't mind slipping the uh, the withdrawals for uh, you know the eighty, one hundred, sixty. Uh, what do you call them? The uh, allotments. Uh, native allotments. Yeah, the allotments was was a farce, and uh, the idea was to uh, uh, end that. Of course, it was ended, but right. then the uh, Vista people or somebody got it handled mm. somehow. Right? Yeah, well, that's another subject. I can't think of a more self-destructive. And that thing has been a fright. It's, it's, uh, it's affected the native uh, uh, ownership as well as the state and federal, and it's an utter fright. Anyway, the idea in the beginning was, fine, you have to have something on these hunting and fishing camps. What does it take? It certainly doesn't take any more than five or ten acres. You don't need 160 acres. Right. But but that's actually a separate provision from yeah. the from right. the sort of what became years later in Anoka the classification. The, right. right. Uh, the business of, of being able to classify lands as subsistence federal lands as subsistence lands and then to prohibit mm -hmm. others than than just local people from from hunting and fishing and. Um, and that is what I don't have out. a beer. You want a beer? Uh, sure. It's probably. Uh, what we've been talking about was uh, obviously you don't you don't know why the provision about classifying lands. No, it's always out. been a wonder to me, and I uh, I asked Van Ness, and he indicated he did not know, uh, and I've asked Charlie, he didn't. Never said he knew anything about it. Wickwire never said he he never said. Anything. Well, I asked Barry Jackson a couple weeks ago, and he says that it was traded away for something, but he can't remember what it was. Well, it had to be traded right. away. And for I'd the, be really curious in retrospect for the forty million to know what was traded away for. Well, the other thing is, or unless it was something behind the scenes. Well, it was traded away in the conference committee, but but well, but who knows? Um, I mean, I've yet to find anybody can recall what it was. Well, of course, the conference committee came up with the forty million. I mean, that so that's the only logical uh, conclusion is that it was uh, they get twice as much acreage in fee and skip the subsistence thing, and uh, which is a pain in the neck for the government. Right. Right. Well, that that's logic, but that, I don't know. If it's true. Right. Well, then that's then the last thing that I wanted to eventually lead into, actually, almost more as a, as a personal matter than because it doesn't relate to, it does to the end of the story, but in terms of the actual enactment of Zanilka or of uh, ANCSA, it's not relevant. And that is that that it seemed to me that that the original subsistence provisions of H.R. 39, as, as, H, as that bill was originally introduced in January of 77, uh, looked in an intellectual way not dissimilar from that same provision of ANCSA that had been that had been dropped out during That's the conference right. committee, and I was curious as to how that all happened. How that all happened. I was obviously not involved in any of that until. Well, it's a very simple story. Uh, 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 it goes back to uh, uh, relationships between Harry Crandall and myself, and uh, Harry uh, remembered uh, that uh, uh, the subsistence thing was dropped out of the uh, out of uh, Anska, and he also remembered the. Uh, the uh, aspects of um, the conference report, 
And when he worked for Udall, uh, and they were some of the very beginnings of uh, Anilka, um, uh, he tried, and I think there were some discussions, and there may even be some record, something on the record, because um, he was Cyberling's guy, right. and, uh, and and Udall's guy, uh, to, f to try and find out uh, why uh, Secretary of Interior didn't do anything about this. And uh, anyway, he felt all along that there should be something, should have been something done. So uh, uh, he, sa he said to me, uh, "I'm going to put this back in a." In this, in this bill, great idea. See what happens. And uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, it evolved in crazy ways. And uh, the, the state of Alaska is and and is, is responsible. Hammond administration is responsible for letting the thing go into legislative jurisdiction. I don't think half the lawyers in this state know the difference between legislative jurisdiction and proprietary jurisdiction. But you see, the, the classification was total proprietary jurisdiction. And even if you look at the, the tenor of, uh, uh, of other sections in, in Title VIII, where it talks about land class, it talks about uh, cooperative agreements. No one's even talking about the present context between the state and the federal government. They could solve, I'm convinced they could solve the uh, whole subsistence question without passing any more laws. They have the authority to classify state lands right now. They classify them around villages. In other words, here's the village, and uh, you've got some state land here, and some federal land here, some native land here, and the subsistence pattern went like that. Right. And that could have that royal preference for that village. Instead of getting into this legislative mishmash, which is never going to be settled the way it's going. Right. Well, that's a whole separate subject. But in, in retrospect, and I will take some responsibility for this, the biggest screw-up that Sloss and I made on that subject was trying to be nice guys about it. That if you think about the approach that you guys had, was that you make these classifications around communities that, as a matter of law, have been identified in ANCSA as native villages, which is a very specific term of art, right? You've got to have at least 25 natives, and the natives have to be the majority, et cetera, et cetera. Well, probably if you had run what became Title Eight of Anoka around that original concept, rather than this rurality mess, uh, it would have been a lot cleaner. Everybody would have, everybody understood where a native community was and where it wasn't. It would have eliminated this whole mess in the Kenai Peninsula, the whole thing. And also and, in water. Right. See, the original dialogue didn't include the rivers or the waters or the lakes. Now they're into navigable water problems up the kazoo. Right. right. But the, see, all that started see, because we wanted to be nicer guys than that. Well, what about what about communities that, that everybody would say are out in the bush, but for some reason or other are not statutorily within the definition of native village? I mean, it's sort of like a problem you guys had if you look at your original. Well, it was, it was, yeah, yeah. Your, your original bill wrangled. Uh, uh, right, S yeah. eighteen thirty, for mm -hmm. example, 
Uh, oh, and actually, I'm glad I just reminded myself because that's something I want to talk Sitka, about. Sitka, all those, those, those. Well, no, but but in S1830, you originally were going to give all the land to second-class cities that would organize in the villages. But of course, to organize under state law, a second-class city, there were some villages that could not qualify to do that. And so you, that's how eventually you got into these, in your bill, in the Senate bill, these nonprofit village right. things. But yeah. that's why you had to do it because. Yeah. You wanted to cut in more communities that can meet the legal that's requirements. Correct. And that's exactly what we did by not going with the native village approach. And in retrospect, I mean, yeah, it's always easy to, to Monday morning quarterback yeah, yourself. That, that stuff, uh, that dialogue, uh, on that refinement, in my memory, was mainly Van Ness and Tussing in the, uh, uh, in the, in the offices back there. I was in and out, but uh, it was mainly those guys. It, 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 the field committee, per se, was not involved. In other words, they were carrying to a, lo a logical conclusion, just as you cited it, okay. uh, because of some of those. That's my memory. Anyway. These sort of technical problems. Yeah, with, yeah. With, with they were technical problems. Yeah, and then I think the last thing uh, that was on my list was that, and I'm glad I reminded myself because of the second-class city approaches in terms of who was going to own the land, is what was obviously this what is today known as the native sovereignty movement had not reared its head at that point but um, in terms of of the field committee putting together its recommendation was was there any uh, awareness that all these IRA village councils oh, were course. out there of and, course. Not, and but well, as a matter of fact there's a list of them in Alaska Natives in the land and uh, and uh, uh, I wrote some of that, Nestor wrote some of that. There was, yeah, there's, there's an analysis of uh, the IRAs, and uh, uh, there's some, also some maps of them, and there's a history of how they came about. And you may recall uh, in your research that uh, there was a big hiatus in the uh, BIA uh, in terms of letting people know what they could do and couldn't do with the. Uh, uh, 36 Act. Right, well they did it, I mean that's a historical matter, but they did it backwards. I mean they went out and organized all these IRAs in the theory that they would then withdraw these reservations mm -hmm. and then they lost interest in that yeah. project and they never got rid of the IRAs. And so I guess my, my question is, maybe this is a better question for Esther as your, as your lawyer, was if it had been me, what I would have done is I would have repealed, just like everybody repealed the Allotment Act, I would have repealed the IRA. Well, we presented that uh, that thought, uh, uh, you know, uh, just as the whole subsistence uh, uh, situation was presented, but it fell out. I mean, uh, the, was that the something about uh, uh, all those 
matters pertaining to possible native or Indian title are hereby extinguished. Right, but I mean, just in terms of the trouble it's caused yeah, since, yeah. it looks like a real something. Yeah, that it should have absolutely. Yeah, it just slipped through. I think. Okay, and then I guess the the last thing that I. I'm also sort of interested in, as you said, that originally, just as you guys were beginning your work, that uh, that one of the groups of folks that were always coming by to visit you, in addition to Charlie, were were uh, William, Paul, and Fred. Right. And I have, as part of all of this, has become really quite fascinated with William. And I was wondering if you could tell me what your impressions were of William, Paul. Esther could tell you a lot more. She he met with Esther uh, a lot more than than with me, and. Uh, but I, I think I, uh, I uh, certainly felt that uh, a, uh, the man was uh, uh, imaginative. I think that would be the first adjective that I'd apply to him. He was imaginative and a, uh, aggressive. Uh, certainly smarter than his son, in my view at least. Not denigrating his son either, but uh, he was a rather charming fellow. He was pretty old by then. Well, let's see, 25 years ago, let's see, I was, uh, I was in the mid 40s. He might have been 60, I don't think, no, 65. He older than that. He died, he died in like 70, well, maybe he was three or four, and he was almost in, he was in his late 80s. Late 80s? Oh, yeah. He was old, 74. Probably well, might have been there. I mean, he was raised by Sheldon Jackson. That's so old. 60, he was in the 60s then, huh? Well, uh, hmm. or 70s, early, I mean, 70s. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, is there anything, uh, I've sort of tried to go through this chronology, basically. Is there, is there anything else that we should put on tape that we haven't talked about, about the Claims Act, that would be on your list of sort of important things that people should understand about it, or about the development of it, in terms of how it all works? Well, I do think there's one thought, and I don't say this in any bad way either, but uh, uh, Fitzgerald was quite uh, opposed to uh, to the staff getting into the uh, uh, Native Land Claims Act. And it was arguments of uh, the staff that just took us into it. Hmm. Well, why was that? Do you think that he thought it was well, I, I thought he, I think he thought it was too complicated in the beginning. And too, or also too emotional. He didn't like emotional things. You know, I'll do an analysis and let the facts speak. That's the right thing to do, you know, right there. More of a scientist than a politician. Well, he was a, you know, a, you know a social scientist. Well, how, how, uh, how do you folks recall thinking the whole thing turned out when the smoke cleared and the bill that was passed was finally passed? Were you, I mean, it had some of your approaches, but not Oh, I, 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 I think, I can only speak for myself, I, uh, I thought it was a, 
a good evolution, a political process type of thing. And uh, uh, there were things that I didn't agree with. Uh, I, I do think that uh, uh, in terms of equity, some kind of a statewide organization would have provided better expertise and saved some of these regions who got ripped off a hell of a lot of money. I mean, what you have finally got with a regional corporation of uh, 12 of them, uh, I, I always looked at it somewhat with amusement because, I, in other words, you could give that money to any 12 individuals out here and the same breakout of success and failure and middle of the road would almost come out. It's almost a classic uh, uh, you know, throw, the, throw the dice, you know, the way the dice would go. <coughs> and uh, I, I think, well, that's what happened, and I think it's, it's quite human nature to happen, but it, it might not have happened if there was some kind of a uh, statewide situation. On the other hand, I can understand completely uh, Aspinall and others' uh, objections to the clout that such a thing would have had, <coughs> political and uh, economic. Uh, and that might have made, in current context, you know, much more uh, controversy than we have now. At least the controversy now is uh, on sovereignty and things like that is split up. Uh, you, you alluded earlier to uh, uh, not just the IRAs, but other sovereignty things. Now, you do recall that uh, uh, at the time of statehood, there was an effort uh, to have a sovereign uh, nation uh, above the Yukon, north of the Yukon. Imelnadi and others uh, advocated a, a separateness, or in other words, no state. Right. Uh, but in effect, what they were talking about was a native homeland, in a way. Right. Well, that's a whole interesting. Of course, it didn't uh, take into account, uh, oh, there is one story uh, that's very important to the Native land claims, and it hasn't really been told. There was, of course, a Clinkett Haida settlement. And uh, in the uh, first versions of the, uh, uh, what was the field committee, Jacksonville, uh, uh, there was uh, no uh, land for Southeastern, no township. Uh, at this time, the Forest Service had not done anything with the 400,000 acres in the Statehood Act. And uh, so, uh, much to uh, my current chagrin, I suggested, why don't we uh, play a little game here and uh, give a township to each village in Southeastern and have the Forest Service refute that and give up their 400,000. Well, the goddamn Forest Service dropped the ball completely, and so they lost everything. So they lost the townships, plus they lost the 400,000. Yeah, and, but that was, a, and Esther and I tried that ploy, but that was our idea. And, uh, and uh, because I don't think Clinkett uh, uh, Haidas would have gotten any land at all uh, if it hadn't been for that ploy, they had no no real basis to argue it because of the pre previous seven and a half million or whatever it was. Right. Well, actually, that's an interesting story in itself. You know, mm -hmm. is that 
they had done all that, you know, with Bill Paul and everybody for a generation down there mm -hmm. and had not given really much of a hoot about anybody else. And then ended up getting screwed at the end yeah. with their paltry, whatever it was, 7.5 million. I think that's what it was. Yeah. And uh, and then all of a sudden land claims takes off, not because of them, but because of Charlie and the pipeline, basically. And then all of a sudden they come careening through the door and say, we want part of the deal here. And the story that I've gotten uh, is that uh, this all came to a vote inside of AFN, and it was a tie vote as to whether or not to let the Clinkets in. And that evil broke the tie in favor of letting him in, and at the time he was married to a Clinket. That's true, that's true. But you said one thing there that's not right. You said uh, Charlie and the pipeline. This, the whole thing was introduced prior prior to even the discovery of uh, Prudhoe Bay. That's right. Okay. Right. Well, I think I think this thing would have would have passed regardless of the pipeline, but with a less uh, all the all the pipeline did was raise the ante. Well certainly certainly if Stuart Udall hadn't start hadn't hadn't stopped state land selections. I don't know what would have happened. But yeah. uh, once he did that yeah, at the, some the, the point, Nana something decision. had to pass. Right. But oh, yeah. it certainly would not have been as, quote, generous, close quote, as what eventually yeah. uh, was passed. Well, I, I think, and I think the settlement uh, was eminently uh, uh, generous, certainly more generous in uh, political terms as well as compensation than any other native uh, settlement in the whole United States. Fascinating to me. Uh, was the, uh, in a personal sense, uh, was the relationship here between the Passamaquoddy and the uh, settlement that was came later. Because I was present when uh, they found that old, uh, in a place called Woodland, uh, Maine, they found that old charter. Uh, I know nothing about that. And anyway, the, 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 which uh, there was a charter for the Passamaquoddies and the Penobscot, and uh, that uh, granted land from the king to uh, to uh, the people, and and I was there was a, a priest come running up to wildlife refuge I was on there, and I used to play poker with it, and uh, he he was all excited about this, and uh, we went and saw it and so on, and and then I come I come later years here to Alaska, and uh, I get involved with the native land claims, and then the native land claims precedent here in Alaska settles the Passamaquoddy Penobscot. The other, another aspect of that thing was that the the uh, uh, settlement, James Bay settlement in in Canada, uh, was directly involved with Alaska, and one of the fellows that worked with me uh, from AIDC went, and he was the one of the main settlements, uh, settlers of the James Bay thing. So there was a been a continuity here. Of right. a lot of involvement. Well, actually, intellectually, there's even more than that, and that is that uh, <clears throat> one of the big fights that that we had during Anoka with with subsistence was I don't know if you recall that the the Interior Department subsistence title that it sent up as some amendments to Udall and I keep track of all well, the details. they had this yeah. whole thing called a, a level of use, which was that that no matter what else happened. 
no matter what the population growth might be in the villages, et cetera, et cetera, that on a statewide basis that the actual aggregate level of use of subsistence resources could not rise above the level that would be in place, assuming you could figure this, even let's figure this out at, on, at a certain at a certain date. And we, of course, thought madness. this was madness. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, for you know, it's operationally madness, and who knows what the level of use is? It's 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 punitive in that. Are you saying that if that if a village doubles, then they live on half the number of moose? I mean, you know, I mean, a whole variety. I mean, yeah. But I said, where did the hell did this thing come from? Well, where it came from was the James Bay Agreement. That somebody had agreed to that in the James Bay Agreement. And, and the fault... The fault in the Fish and Wildlife Service, who of course had no particular use for subsistence and were trying to dampen it down, that they had ripped this thing out of the James Bay Agreement. So all, you know, sort of what goes around comes around, that all these things sort of are in the, in the blender together in terms of the, you know, I'm sure if they ever do anything useful for the Aborigines in Australia, we will find that there will be... Well, there was an effort to, to try and do it with Hawaii uh, that uh, didn't really get off the ground, but uh, Udall and I tried to do that. Right. Well, that'll never happen because of the lands gone. Oh, the Bishop Trust. Okay, well, well uh, anyway. I very much uh, appreciate you taking the time this morning. Well, uh, you refreshed my memory more than I refreshed yours, I think. No, actually, there's some of this is quite, uh, quite helpful. And, uh, and again, I think one of the other useful things about this, independent of my project, is, is there's now, I've probably done uh, 80 of these things. You know, I've been Stu Udall and all these people. And, and again, I hope to do Ehrlichman this summer. And, I think just uh, on general principles, it's good. We should have done all this like 15 years ago when, when everybody's memory was even better, you know. But on the other hand, you uh, you uh, you end up in these kinds of things with with either uh, ego trips or uh, memory uh, that is locked in cement. And I hope my comments have not reflected either of those, because I I really don't remember a lot of this. And, uh, well, that's why it's it's uh, one of the things I have learned. I've been on this project now, you know, sort of catch as catch can for so long. Is that uh, in a way, a, a lot of to be productive, these whole kinds of interviews really need to be sort of done like a deposition. You have to do your homework first because yeah. no one in their right mind can remember whether it was. Yeah. You know, April of '69 or October of '69, 20 years later, yeah, and so. and so you sort of have to go through the paper trail and, well, we, and know that before. Mark and I are, are, do remember some things, and uh, there uh, there were uh, write-ups on Anilka and so on that we were mentioned in and so on, and and uh, on the Anilka thing, we got some interesting. Uh, uh, Thanks mainly to Mark, but mine also uh, from Udall and Sangas and whole raft of names. Right. Well, the president, as a matter of fact, too. Carter. Well, actually, one of the things that I regret is it crossed my mind right at the beginning of Anoka when I I had no idea what I was getting into at the time, and when I finally figured it out, I said to myself, you know, if not for your own purposes, but just because it would be generally useful. You really ought to get one of these things and just come home every night 
over a glass of wine, and you could just sit there. You don't have to type. You know, it takes time to write stuff. But you could sit here and. and Did you do that? No, and for ten minutes, mm -hmm. and just write down what went on today, and who yeah. said what to whom, and why, and what yeah. decisions were made. Well, that's what Wickler did. And I never did it. Know. And now I really kick myself because I remember thinking that I should do it. Wickler had been his, in his big legal books, you know, kind of notes all every every night. He'd write the damn notes. In there. Well, he's my next stop this summer. Yeah, so. I, uh, he uh, he and uh, Tom Kelly stopped by here uh, a couple of months ago. I hadn't seen him in years. They were up here on some darn thing. Arctic slopes. Okay, well, I will uh, turn this off. No. Um, this is uh, Don Mitchell. It's uh, July 21st. 1992, and I've been listening to this uh, tape interview with Dave Hickok, and for the record, uh, part of the discussion that's held at the beginning, uh, Dave has got his dates turned around, and uh, part of it is my fault. Uh, his thinking starts with the premise that Stu Udall came to Alaska in November of 1966 and offered... Um, up his idea about OCS revenue sharing and that then the field committee started its work uh, the next spring which would have been 67 which is why Hickok is so adamant about all that but in fact uh, as you know checking the record that uh, the Udall visit to Alaska where he met with AFN and uh, and uh, throughout the idea of OCS revenue sharing was actually in, I believe, November or December of 1967. And so that then led immediately, several weeks later, into Bob Vaughn participating on Udall's behalf in the Hickel Task Force activities, the um, task force bill being introduced in a hearing held in February 68, and then in March, uh, Scoop Jackson retaining the Field committee. So there's a um, one-year um, uh, misperception in uh, Hickok's uh, comments at the beginning of tape one.